I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw it. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, Borgs, chickens, and things to episode 31 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? It's the Muppets and Star Trek. We have been and will continue to do one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star Edgar Bergen and Star Trek original series episode, Who Mourns for Adonais? Before we get into those, (laughs) uh, German, do we have any feedback? We sure do. Uh, If you guys remember, listeners, we had a shout out from a show called Mega Podtastic. Oh, uh, we before. did. So did we hear more? We did. So Crazy Joe from Megapodtastic on Twitter, um, he sent us a little tweet saying, well, Muppet Trek, my attire wasn't intentional, but I just realized I'm representing your podcast. And in the picture, he's <laughs> wearing a Starfleet like casual jacket and a Muppets t-shirt with Sam the Eagle on it. So he had like both, right. both together in one picture. It was really funny. So excellent. Thanks for that, Crazy Joe. That was fun. So who's our guest tonight for this Muppet show? Steven. So the guest this week is Edgar Bergen, oh, yes. actor, comedian, ventriloquist. His career spanned more than 50 years covering TV, radio, and film. Yes, he was a ventriloquist on the radio. <laughs> Let that sink in, everybody. He was a big idol of Jim Henson. And uh, upon his death, uh, left his daughter, Candace Bergen, and season one host, uh, nothing. But he left his dummy, Charlie McCarthy, $10,000. Are you kidding me? No. So where does that money go? Factoid everywhere. (laughs) I don't know. I hope that Charlie blew it on a bunch of strippers and coke. (laughs) (laughs) The ventriloquist dummy. That's just me. What a dad. That's that's great. (laughs) Uh, And sad fact, he signed up for a two-week goodbye to showbiz tour in Vegas, which apparently used to be a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he only performed three nights before passing away. Oh, that's sad. And what does our audience know him from? Probably his cameo in the Muppet movie, which took place very shortly before his death. Because mm. he was pretty old in this episode, too. He was. And you can see that he could not let's say, get around. Yeah, not too much. But he still did a, not too know, much. a lot of energy. He did a good job. Um. um but yeah, German, you've got some context. Well, yeah, just a little personal note for Edgar Bergen. Uh, it's kind of fun because my dad uh, was older for a dad of my generation. He was born in 1939. Yes. So he was he was a fan of Edgar Bergen growing up and listening to him on the radio, believe it or not, and watching him on early TV in the 50s. Um, and so when I was a kid, he would tell me about Edgar Bergen. And so much so that I actually got interested in ventriloquism a little while there. And if you listen to our Sappy Crap podcast, you'll hear about me doing a talent show at summer camp one year with a ventriloquist dummy. That, you, that, that dummy was creepy as hell. <laughs> yeah. So I had the Mortimer Snurd dummy um, from Edgar Bergen's act. And I I did that for a little while and I was pretty terrible at it, but it was a lot of fun. And so I have a little personal connection to Edgar Bergen. And so when I said that tonight <laughs> to my girlfriend watching the show with me, I was like, oh, it's Edgar Bergen. She's like, who? And I was like, you know, the dad of Candace Bergen. She's like, who? <laughs> so it's kind of a funny moment. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about him this week in The Muppet Show. Let's do it. On stage this week, Kermit introduces Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and even Mortimer Snurd. But first, we get a chicken performance 
doing the song Babyface, which was actually later reprised at Jim's funeral. Uh, following this is a Muppet News flash where the reporter reads a breaking news story that he forgot to put pants on. Afterwards, we get a daring performance from Gonzo, who's going to wrestle a brick while blindfolded, and he is defeated. Up next, we get Pigs in Space. It is revealed that Piggy is the only one that can save the day. Link reveals her grand task. We get our first view of two other Swine Trek crew members, and the task is revealed to be sexism. Mm-hmm. As she is going to be doing the laundry for the crew. And she ain't happy about it. Piggy doesn't isn't having it, but then goes over and doesn't even get to chop Link Hogthrob. She punches the door and he escapes and she gets left presumably to do the wash. <laughs> uh, next is Rolf performing a lovely little ditty called Show Me a Rose, a semi-romantic tune featuring the line, show me a rose or leave me alone. Kermit then introduces Fozzie and a friend. Fozzie comes out with a very rough puppet called Chucky who he throws a punchline to, but then Fozzie gets really frustrated when Chucky doesn't say anything back. It becomes more and more apparent that this goes on, that Fozzie doesn't understand that the dummy doesn't actually tell jokes. <laughs> Kermit comes out and breaks this to him, uh, and Fozzie finally leaves the stage, only to have Chucky come alive at the last moment and tell a zinger. <laughs> uh, following this, we get Time in a Bottle, a old man mad scientist kind of mixes different concoctions slowly turning himself younger and younger at the end taking it too far and going back to being old it is really well performed beautifully done performance and it's honestly one of jim's best uh, next we get some chickens pl uh, plucking out the song down at papa joe's one note at a time it's a uh, cute and short yeah finally kermit comes out to introduce edgar charlie one last time we wrap up with more classic shtick Charlie badmouths the Muppets one by one while Edgar defends them, mentioning dissecting frogs and turning Fozzie into a rug. Charlie reveals he's lonely and Piggy springs on the stage. Charlie then makes fun of her, too. She chops him only to hurt herself because he's made of wood. Mm -hmm. Kermit thanks Edgar and Charlie for coming on. Edgar mentions dissecting frogs again, and that is what we call the Muppet Show. Backstage, the uh, this week centered around the fact that uh, Fozzie is is going to make this puppet and doesn't understand that the puppet isn't real. We also get a really nice backstage musical number called consider yourself where the Muppets assure Edgar and Charlie that they're in good company. And I'm a kind of a sucker for the backstage music numbers. Mm. And it's kind of, a, uh, I don't know. What'd you think this week? Oh uh, yeah. The, it was, I had that feeling too, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Because it's just, it was really kind of lame Edgar Bergen jokes, and he's not very good at ventriloquism, surprisingly. No, his mouth moves so much. I know, and it's like, you've done this your entire and life. He even calls it out. He even mentions it, like, at one point. I, yeah, I guess that's part of his shtick is that he's not very good at it, so his mouth moves a lot when he's doing the ventriloquism. So it's it was really yeah. distracting, because I kept still looking at and, him. And it was they, tough that they couldn't find a way to, to work it into anything. Yeah, I couldn't work the ventriloquism in. It was just he was going to do his shtick for a half the show. He's just too old to do something. And he different. did his shtick and that was great. And there were some funny things while rehearsed things. Right. And like when they would take the camera and cut to the dummy so you could just see the dummy in frame. It was fine. And I was in the moment. But then when you see them both in the frame, I can see him mouthing all the words really blatantly. So it's like this is I'm taken out of it. I don't know. I think it, it sucks that this is back to back with Rich Little, who was also a guest that they just kind of let him do shtick. Yeah. 
with no real context to the show. And I feel like just having two of these back to back is really like, gah, mm. Mm, I watch, I wash down this garbage with more garbage. <laughs> I will say, I really did like the scene with Fozzie and Mortimer Snurd. Like okay. it, it worked well enough because they cut away enough where it was a two shot of Fozzie and Mortimer just talking. And there was, it was a cute little back and forth. Yeah, and th- this may be one of those rare episodes where I think the backstage was better because it made sense that Edgar was just sitting around at least. Yeah. And we're sitting there with Mortimer because he said something about Mortimer being shy and wasn't sure if he was going to perform or not. And, um, right. and the innocence of Fozzie was really cool about it, not knowing how ventriloquism works. And he was, <laughs> he was just talking to Mortimer Snow like he's a real guy. And it was just like, that was really cute. So I enjoyed that part of it, that aspect of it. I normally Fozzie. don't like Fozzie's acts. Like, and I know that's kind of the point, but even <laughs> for that being the point, it's never a good part of the episode for me. And this is one of the few times where I think Frank Oz just really made it shine. Yeah, it was, that was one of the cuter parts of the episode. And I really did really like the time in a bottle if I could have time in a bottle and the, him going back and becoming younger. Cause that was a good, good effects in camera effects where they cut away. Oh yeah. It, good tricks. Yeah. Clean cuts. And I kept like cringing when they, he, the puppet was drinking the potions he was making, because I was like, that liquid's going to go down to that puppet and ruin it. <laughs> some of them, some of them, you can see it just poured flat. <laughs> um, so let's talk about music this week. We got Babyface, published in 1926 and was the number one hit for a guy named Jan Garber who is a violinist and band leader consider yourself from the musical Oliver exclamation point premiered on the (laughs) premiered on the West end in June of 1960 and ran for 2,618 performances. Wow. And I have a note on that, that, that song in particular, when I first heard it, I was like, this song, is this like from a parody musical? Cause I thought they were saying, come shit on yourself with the family. (laughs) <laughs> but they're saying, consider yourself. And I was like, oh, okay. That, that makes, makes way sense. more sense. Yeah. Uh, one of the boys who cycled through the role of Artful Dodger, who sang this song in the West End production, was a young Phil Collins. Whoa. Yeah, that's right. Go figure. Uh, Show Me a Rose, made famous by Groucho Marx. A fun fact, he was offered The Tonight Show, but he turned down NBC. He did, however, agree to guest for two weeks while their new host, Johnny Carson, was getting ready to take over. That makes a lot of sense because Johnny Carson constantly told stories of hanging out with Groucho Marx. So okay. they were good buds, apparently. Time in a Bottle by Jim Croce. This wasn't supposed to be a big hit or released as a single, but then when he died in a plane crash in 73, this suddenly got a crazy amount of airtime because of the subject matter mm. and be- became this big hit after his death. That makes sense. Uh, and then down at Papa Joe's from American girl group, the Dixie Bells. It was made popular in the early 60s, written by a guy named Jerry Smith, who's responsible for Nashville hits like Little Old Me and Truck Stop. <laughs> Sounds country. I was just mostly amused that those songs existed. <laughs> of course. Jared, what was your favorite Muppeteering moment this week? Uh, it had to be the big number with uh, the Consider Yourself number. Uh, which is so okay. many Muppets working together. I, I know you love it when everyone gets together. Yeah, it just seems so impossible to put together and arrange so well. And it just it came across and it was a good number for Edgar Bergen, too, because they could all just kind of circle around him because he didn't have to move around much. And he just looked overjoyed to be there. He did look happy to be there the whole time, which is kind of <laughs> cool. So there was that. <laughs> um, I, I was a big fan of Gonzo against the brick. Oh, yeah. Because I'm a big fan of any time that it's like a single Muppeteer just going out there and having to sell it. Mm, that makes sense. I'm a big fan of when that goes successfully. 
And then the end shot with him just laying on the ground. And obviously there's just probably a hole in the ground of the, uh, of the set where he's just moving his head <laughs> around. Right. Yeah, you can see that. So Jarman, tell us about this week's original series episode. So this week we have uh, Who Mourns for Adonais, which I always said wrong when I was growing up and watching that episode. Well, since college. Uh, it's I like this episode a lot. So we have uh, Enterprise studying a faraway M-class planet, which we all know now means it appears it can have life on it. But there appears to be no life on this planet, which is strange. And as they're passing by to study it, a giant green hand comes out and it grabs the Enterprise. And it's apparently made of pure energy. Um, and no matter what they do, they can't shake free of it. But then a giant face arises on the view screen and says they all must come down to the planet and they cannot leave. And they try to resist, but it seems futile. <laughs> the face uh. on the screen says that he will crush their ship um, if they keep resisting. But he doesn't want pointy-eared Spock to come down to the planet. He just wants everyone else to come down because Spock reminds him of Pan. It's like, ooh, your first hint of he's talking about old gods and that kind of thing. Okay. So Scotty Bones and Chekhov. I missed Kirk, that the first time, man. Oh yeah, he said like, "Oh, Spock reminds me of Pan. I don't want him coming down here. Uh, Pan always bothered <laughs> me." Uh, so yeah, Scotty Bones, Chekhov, Kirk, and Lieutenant Carolyn Palamas go down to the planet, and Palamas is an expert on ancient Earth history and myths. How convenient! It's um, so convenient she's there, and this must come up a lot in space. Of course. And apparently they established in the first little scene that Scotty has a big crush on her. He asked her to coffee before the hand grabbed the ship. So they all go onto the planet, and they find themselves in like a classic Grecian-style outdoor temple of sorts uh, with a man on the throne who introduces himself as Apollo, one of the ancient Greek gods who was actually on Earth thousands of years ago, he claims. So after a little bit, he uh, renders her transporters and communicators useless. Uh, and he tells them that they and all the Enterprise crew will now worship him as a god. And in return, he will provide for all their needs and let them live in a utopia. Of course, Kirk says no to this and Apollo doesn't seem to care. And he starts to hit on hit on Lieutenant Palamas, uh, which really pisses off Scotty, who had a crush on her. So he pulls out his phaser to take a shot at Apollo, but Apollo immediately melts it in his hand. So Apollo then announces that he will take Palamas to be his love, um, his little consort, and he vanishes with her somewhere. He disappears. So Kirk and Bones figure out that Apollo and the other Greek gods must have been some sort of powerful aliens that visited Earth a long time ago, and they became the basis for our myths and legends at the time. Uh, they also noticed that after showing off some of his powers, Apollo uh, started getting tired looking. Like he became a giant for a while. He melted Sky's phaser, and then he looked then tired. He had to disappear. Yeah, then he had to disappear. So that was kind of strange. So the team makes a plan to antagonize Apollo all at once and maybe try to attack him so that he'll get tired enough that they can get back in touch with the Enterprise again and maybe make a plan of attack. So meanwhile, off somewhere else on the planet, Palamas is getting really cozy with Apollo. And he tells mm -hmm. her that the other gods were indeed aliens from a far off world and that they feed off worship like we feed off of food. And that he's the last of his kind because everyone else like Hera and Zeus and everything, they gave up on humans finding them again and worshiping them again one day. But he never gave up. So he's, he's the only last one behind. So finally, Apollo and Palamas return to the landing party. And so the landing party attempts their plan to provoke him and make him angry. But Palamas steps in front because she's not part of the plan and she doesn't know. So she tries to stop to calm Apollo down, which thwarts their entire plan. So he doesn't get angry enough to use his powers so they can't drain him down of his powers. 
So Apollo tells Kirk that he should start bringing people down to the planet where they will live the rest of their lives worshiping him. And then once they do that, he'll crush the Enterprise once it's empty. Kirk can't have this, of course. So um, he takes Carolyn aside once Apollo leaves and he tells her she must come back to her senses and get back on her duty and spurn Apollo's advances. And because she had already fallen in love with him, apparently, <laughs> within an hour or so. Um Kirk thinks that turning Apollo down uh, might anger him enough to take his concentration away from the Enterprise so they can break free of his giant hand. So she finally agrees to do it. Meanwhile, back in the Enterprise, uh, the crew is doing a lot of cool work up there. Uh, they're able to pinpoint the location of a power source on the planet, which they figure out is what's powering the giant hand holding them in place. At least they figure that much out. And they also figure out a way to just get enough phasers through the, uh, the big giant hands. They could uh, shoot the phasers down and destroy the power source. And then back down the planet, uh, Lieutenant Palamas finally tells Apollo that, oh, her interest in him is just purely scientific. She was never really in love with him. Mm. So he's devastated. He starts calling down lightning and thunder to punish her, which starts to weaken him. And they are able to communicate with the Enterprise. And Kirk tells Spock to fire in the power source, which is like the giant throne where he was sitting. And once it's destroyed, Apollo loses his power. He starts to cry and he calls out for the other gods to take him where they are. And he fades away. And that is who mourns for Adonais. So what do you think of this episode, Steve? Um, so this was a bit of a mixed bag for me. Mm -hmm. um, so things I really liked. I love the huge hand. Like that was just such a fun kind of almost whimsical. And you don't get a ton of whim whimsical in Star Trek. <laughs> That's true. Um, it was the, one of the first times that an all-powerful ambivalent race hasn't like really pissed me off because the, the idea of him really being Apollo was really intriguing and he wasn't all powerful really which he is wasn't all powerful cool. right but just the percent you know and this right. i think was the first time that 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 just didn't make me angry <laughs> he's more dynamic uh and i love that there was a scene where they were all going to sit around a table and went man someone should move that huge fruit bowl and then sure enough uh deforest kelly bones like picks up the fruit bowl and then moves it aside i didn't even notice that and, like moves it it was funny because i was like man that's terrible who would put that in the middle of a table <laughs> uh, things i did that. like i disliked um was like the just the opening with hard sexism <laughs> yes women dropping out of service and all that i was like ah that does not age this episode anything after this does not age well uh, i liked spock's futility trying to fight the hand Oh, his yeah. suggestion, like try rocking the ship like it's an old Buick stuck in the snow. <laughs> um, and I like that the ending made sense and was like poetic in a way. And like the just don't look. Once we stop, he has no power like that. The, it felt really poetic and nice. And you kind of do feel bad for Apollo. You're like, oh, you know, I get it. You know, he's like, yeah, he's not a bad guy. He's just that's just how they live. They he just wants their love so he can live. They feed off worship. And I liked how it just kind of uh, it shows that Starfleet's not completely in a religion anymore. That's why they're not really affected by his his uh, rants and that kind of thing. Yeah, true. Um, although Kirk does say that thing about they're still into one God, but um, I think they, they did say that. And then we've also seen references to I think marriage and yeah. at least one other kind of Christiany thing at some point. And I a lot of things like that were pushed in probably by the you know to appease the studio because I don't think yeah, of course Roddenberry was at all kind of a religious person, but. Um, 
and also he just like backwards? Ooh, no. well it's a shame Sorry, that, that the uh, that the female officer is specializes in this which is relevant to what's happening cool convenient but still cool and they don't use her for that at all like they ask her opinion and she's but still it, just the woman who's overcome by a man because he's a man like with Khan, yeah <laughs> and there was at least one or two others with that exact same thing mm-hmm. so yeah that that was my last little gripe uh, but overall i think it's a decent episode yeah would you say so yeah there are ones i certainly dislike more than this <laughs> well good so a little factoids here uh some fun stuff uh william shatner was so concerned with the height disparity between him and apollo that he wouldn't allow any shots to show him and Michael Forrest, the guy who played him side by side in the same frame. Um, <laughs> he said, according to My- Michael Forrest, who played Apollo, whenever Shatner would speak to him, he would notice Shatner would inadvertently stand on his tippy toes <laughs> for some reason. And originally, the producers wanted John Voight, a young John Voight, to play Apollo, but he was busy with another project. That would have been really weird. Yeah, it would be. Uh, so... The fused charred phaser that Kirk holds up after Apollo blasts it, it's the same prop they used for Khan when he crushed the, the phaser in an earlier episode, which that was kind of neat. Nice. Um, if you watch the movie X-Men Apocalypse, uh, one of the characters is watching a, a classic Star Trek episode. This is that episode that is playing in X-Men Apocalypse, the movie. Ah. Yes. Uh, the gown that we watched Lieutenant uh, Palamas wearing, which is very revealing, um, it was glued to her skin to keep it in place. Um, I don't blame them. And apparently when they removed it, it tore her skin when they removed it because they didn't Ooh. use proper glue. And that hand that you like so much, that was Gene Roddenberry's hand that they filmed. <laughs> Very nice. Which Good is kind of neat. Um, and in the original script, uh, McCoy discovers that uh, Lieutenant Palamas is actually pregnant with Apollo's child once they get back to the ship. So Ooh. that was, and it was retained in the novelization. So that's like beta canon but not really <laughs> okay that would have been interesting though and that's our trivia so do we have got- any trek connections for this oh uh- boy do i have the most tenuous of trek connections oh that's the best uh edgar bergen his daughter candace bergen and shatner acted together on boston legal they sure did uh edgar's final film appearance was his cameo in the muppet movie F. Murray Abraham also made a cameo in a Muppet movie. (laughs) (laughs) This is so tenuous. Uh, As Noah, and he played the big bad in Star Trek Insurrection. That that is true. So they're both guests, and then F. Murray Abraham did something unrelated. (laughs) Um, Perfect. Okay. Michael Forrest, who played Apollo, uh, was a go-to performer in the stable of actors used by independent director-producer Roger Corman. Mm, Roger Corman, yes. He was in a ton of his films and in 20 in pr- productions. In 2017, the Visual Effects Society held its 20th anniversary and celebrated by inducting six people into their Hall of Fame. One of them was independent producer Roger Corman, and another was Jim Henson. Oh, well, there you go. That's yeah. a connection. <laughs> and also, you can see Roger Corman in uh, the new Star Trek Continues fan series. He re- reprises his role as Apollo in this, in this series. And it's by far the best fan series ever made of the original series because they try to no, get No, the- you mean Michael Forrest. Michael Forrest. Oh, what did I say? Roger Corman. Oh, yeah, not Roger Corman. Michael Forrest. My apologies. Yes, Michael, Michael Forrest uh, comes back to play Apollo, and he's like in his 70s, and he looks just as good. It's amazing. 
<laughs> like he looks fantastic. Um, but he, yeah, check out uh, Star Trek continues. They like try to get the exact materials of the, of the fabrics of the clothes. Everything looks exactly like the show. It's really well done. Um, so check it out. But yeah, so hmm. similarities, Steve, I hear you got, you got plenty for us. So get us started. Oh, yeah. Both feature flagrant sexism in a supposedly advanced futuristic society. Oh, that is Captain true. talking about losing his female crew members and Piggy being forced to do washing and ironing. I had a similar one because both Miss Piggy and Pigs in Space and Lieutenant Carolyn Palamas are female officers who are uniquely qualified to help on a particular mission, supposedly, as they're telling them. But yet their skills and experience are not used whatsoever not used at all. <laughs> they're just because they use them as women, but not for their skills and experience. Both feature someone trying to discover the source of someone's power. Fozzie mistakenly thinking it was the dummy doing all the talking and the crew trying to figure out Apollo's energy source. <laughs> uh, the ventriloquist controls the life and death of their dummy, just as the gods control the life and death of their worshipers. Ooh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, both feature ancient entities dragged out well after they've, they've stopped being cared about Apollo and Edgar Bergen. <laughs> that is true and sad. Oh God. Transport What's that noise? Transporter malfunction. All right. So this is part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other episode. You'll you'll see what we mean if you haven't heard it before. That's right. So what you got for us, Steve? So this week going from Muppets to Trek, I've got Charlie McCarthy coming over, not to replace anyone, but just to sit on Apollo's lap <laughs> and make a degrading Greek humor. <laughs> my face was commemorated, my likeness engraved on urns. Too bad you never earned it. Oh, <laughs> and he'll have a toga with a top hat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like still the monocle. Yes. Uh, I think Miss Piggy should transport over to play the part of Apollo because she's always demanding worship and she could be quite intimidating to get it. That's true. And we'd still feel for her in the end if she did when like we did for Apollo, you know, because she could she could play that off. Uh, for Treks to Muppet, I've got the giant Apollo when he makes himself big coming over and replacing the brick in the wrestling match. <laughs> so it would just be Gonzo like wildly wrestling his leg <laughs> as he stares down futilely and laughs. That would be cute. I have uh, the giant green hand should replace Charlie McCarthy <laughs> because okay. uh, Bergen can make the same bad jokes with the giant green hand as his hand. Uh, and it would be just as funny, which is not much at all. <laughs> which is limited because his mouth is still moving yeah, for some reason he's still moving his mouth <laughs> yep so uh yeah that brings us to a short and sweet end of episode 31 of muppet trek podcast join us next time for the muppet show with special guest bernadette peters and original series episode the changeling so from the lovers the dreamers and us live long and prosper everyone Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>